Please be seated. Before you agree to do something, it's a good idea to know exactly what that something is. A case in point, I'm one of the affiliated clergy here, and several weeks ago, the office asked me to preach this morning while the rector and the associates are on the parish retreat at Canuga. Without consulting the list of readings appointed for today to see what my preaching options might be, I readily accepted A few days later, I opened up this lectionary book and read these words from the gospel reading. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. My reaction, oh shoot, or or something close to that. (laughs) Then I thought, Why, oh, why didn't I sign up to go to Canuga? (laughs) Before you agree to do something, it's a good idea to know exactly what that something is. So here I am, stuck with these difficult words of Jesus about divorce. But at least I'm not alone, because truth be told, we're all stuck with these words, and you and I must try to make sense of them together. Let's begin by acknowledging our ambivalence about marriage. On the one hand, when a couple gets married, we enter into their joy, and we truly hope for the the best things for them in their future. And we take seriously what the prayer book says about marriage. Holy Scripture commends it to be honored among all people. Yet, on the other hand, we know from our own experience or from observation that marriage is an uncertain, perilous endeavor. In fact, as Madeleine Lengel put it, to marry is the biggest risk in human relations that a person can take. We certainly know, don't we, that a good marriage or a good partnership is by no means guaranteed to anyone. No wonder we laugh at the line made famous by Mae West and Groucho Marx, Marriage is a wonderful institution, but who wants to live in an institution? By the way, Groucho also said, marriage is the chief cause of divorce. (laughs) Frankly, we have mixed feelings about marriage, for it has the tremendous capacity to produce both incredible joy and deep fulfillment, but also utter despair and disappointment and all in the same marriage, sometimes all in the same day. I venture to say that there's not one person here who has not been witness or a party to a good marriage, one which reflects the intimacy and compassion God yearns for human beings. And we know that a good union overflows with creative generosity so that others are blessed as well. I also venture to say that there's not one person here who has not been affected in one way or another by a bad marriage or by divorce, either their own or that of parents, children, family members, or friends. Divorce can leave a legacy of pain 
estrangement, and bitterness, not just for the former couple, but for their children, wider family, and social circles. Simply put, a failed marriage or partnership is a human tragedy for all involved. Divorce is painful, and no one I know takes it lightly. That being said, some of us wouldn't even be alive if one broken marriage had not ended to allow for another to begin. Some of us wouldn't be in a happy marriage today if a previous marriage hadn't ended in divorce. This is simply reality. So here we are, all of us to one degree or another, knowing the agony and the ecstasy of the human relationship we call marriage or committed partnership. As Christ's church, we hold up such unions as a glorious gift, a means by which God mediates, not, mediates grace not only to the couple, but through the couple to others. But we also know the reality of brokenness in our midst and of the high incidence of divorce among Christians who take their faith seriously. The church's responsibility, I think, is therefore not only to help engaged couples prepare for a healthy marriage and to encourage long-married couples to be true to their vows, but also to participate in healing when a marriage stumbles or fails. So yes, there is this ambivalence we have about marriage. Yet we hear this voice, unambiguous and challenging. Two persons joined together are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus, of course, was responding to some Pharisees, testing him about the Mosaic law that allowed a husband to write a certificate of divorce simply because his wife did not please him or he found something objectionable about her. In answer, Jesus did what he so often did when so confronted. Invoking Genesis, he holds up the ideal God intended from the very beginning, that two persons joined as one constitute spiritual union, reflecting the very image of God, and as such, they should not be separated. To seek dissolution is tantamount, tantamount to trying to divide one person into two. Marriage viewed this way is thus not even in the realm of human law. So it's not a contract to be negotiated or breached as was common in Jesus' day. He explained that Moses allowed a man to divorce his wife because of the people's hardness of heart, that is, their inability to have their hearts in tune with God's plan, not because God intended it to be that way. Now, there's no getting around it. Jesus' words that equate remarriage after, after divorce with adultery jolt and disturb us. But even so, we must never forget that Jesus is not one who doesn't know the reality of broken relationships and of the weak and, and of the weakness and imperfection of human beings. For the Son of God 
lived in this fragmented and fallen world as one of us. The letter to the Hebrews, from which our second lesson is taken, emphasizes the utter humanity of Jesus. And as the letter says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters as imperfect and weak as we are. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus had to become like one of us in every respect. Why? So that he might be God's mercy for us, God's help for us. Jesus experienced all that we have known in our relationships. Unconditional love, loyalty, kindness, honesty. But he was also on the receiving end of breach of trust and hardness of heart. He was hated, betrayed, abandoned. Now, even as Jesus holds up the ideal of spiritual union when speaking of marriage, he knows how difficult it is for us to live into God's intention for us. In Jesus, God enfleshed, we have one who is able to sympathize with our every weakness. As Hebrew says in, one, in another passage, let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The good news is that the one who challenges us to lead lives consistent with God's intent for creation is also the one who identifies with our failures and who promises to help. So we approach the throne of grace with boldness. And further good news is that the throne of grace is right here in our life and worship in this church. It's here in our support of one another, in our acceptance of one another. It's here in our sharing of the sacrament of Holy Communion, through which we can be healed by Christ from our deepest hurts and renewed for a fresh day. The throne of grace is here in song and praise as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be more loving, more forgiving, more compassionate in all our relationships. It's here where we can commit ourselves to working hard to better the relationships that are most important to us, knowing that striving to live in the kingdom of God will soften our hearts. The throne of grace, where we find God's mercy and help, is also in our coming to God in the quiet of prayer and reflection. It's there, too, when we seek the help of a therapist, friend, or support group. Jesus' help is mediated to us in countless ways, so that we who have been forgiven, even for breaching the most important of relationships, can, can forgive those who have deeply hurt us, so that we whose yesterday or today is painful or disappointing can know the hope of a better tomorrow. For God is forever the author of new beginnings. The throne of grace is here. Thanks and praise be to the holy and undivided Trinity, one God in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen. Amen.